The Stevens College MFA in TV and Screenwriting presents How I Wrote That. Hell of a deal. Go ahead and cry yourself to sleep if you don't know how you feel. Cause I'm on a mission to stay in motion. I'm on a mission to stay in motion. I'm on a mission to stay in motion like a cartwheel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to How I Wrote That. We're here at Jim Henson Studios. I'm your host, Kanisha Foster, and we are so thrilled to be bringing you our mentor series. Today we have someone that all of the students always buzz about after her sessions and when they've worked with her. I'd like to introduce you to Laura Brennan. Hello, Laura. Hi. Yay, I'm so glad you're here. Now, you all know if you listen to our podcast that this is a time where I tell you about credits and I introduce this person, but because, well, we call her the goddess of pitching here at the program, but you like to talk about it a different way. Would you tell us about it? Well, it's interesting because, in fact, a lot of my friends introduced me as the pitching goddess or the goddess of pitching. And um, I'm actually, it's very flattering, <laughs> um, but it's not strictly true. In fact, I'm the goddess of structure. Oh. But as long as I get the goddess part right, I <laughs> fall over that, that's fine. Um, the, the reason that I'm good at pitching and the reason I think that I can teach pitching is because I'm good at structure and pitching is a very highly structured conversation. When you pitch, you are telling people things that they don't have a lot of context for. You're telling a story in a new world, right? With new characters. This is not like you telling your mom about your brother, right? There's context mm -hmm. galore there. But when you're pitching a new story, you don't have any context. And so people need to hear it in a very specific way so they can understand what happens next. So you need to drop the information in little drips in a certain order. Huh. It's very highly structured. So for example, take a log line. Yeah. So with a log line, you want to start by saying what it is. So you want to start by saying something like, my feature, right? Mm -hmm. My feature, so that people know it's a feature. And then you want to give them the title, right? So my feature, um, we're at Henson, I'm going to go with Muppet Treasure Island. Right? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> my feature, <laughs> Muppet Treasure Island, and that gives them now a box to put the information in, is, a, um, is a, an adaptation of the famous book, Treasure Island, um, with a combination of real live actors and Muppets telling the story in a fun, funny, and yet at the same time, um, bone-chilling way. Ooh. Right? Yeah. And from that, we have all the information we need to make a yes or no decision, do we want to hear more? So the purpose of the logline is just to give information so clearly yeah. that the person listening can decide, oh yeah, that's right up my alley, mm. or mm, no, I, I don't do anything with puppets, right? right? Or I don't do any period pieces, mm -hmm. right? And if, if that's the case, it's not personal, it's just not what they do and they're allowed to say no. The purpose of a logline is not to make a sale. You're not selling. The purpose of a logline is to get a yes, tell me more, mm. or uh, no, that's really not my thing. What else have you got? That's so rich to set it in that, because I think we get so far ahead of ourselves. We really do. 
So, but if you're just, let me take you to the next step of what, of what this piece is. It, it, it allows for a conversation. It allows for a conversation. And it, it, it also really sets you up for success because you, if you will never be able to pitch someone something successfully, like they will never buy something they don't want. Mm. People know what they make. They know what they're good at. They know what they like. You're never going to get, you know, Quentin Tarantino is never going to do Pride and Prejudice. Right. So Pride and Prejudice is not a bad story because Quentin Tarantino won't make it. Right. It's just not his type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't say anything about your project. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect on you at all. It's just an opportunity to get a yes, tell me more. Or a, oof, a quick no, what else do you have? What else might you have? Or, and, um, and then the opportunity then for a further conversation along something that might be more up their alley. Right? There's no lose. It's not a win-lose. It's, it's only a win. Yeah. And I, what I love about being in the room with you here at the program when I was a student and now with our students, now that I'm associate director, is you also taught us how to pitch ourselves how to be ourselves in the room. Can you talk a little bit about that? It is so important. I'm so glad you asked about that. <laughs> it is so important for people to be able to talk about themselves. You think you're selling a project, but that's really never true. You're always selling um, yourself in two ways. One is that people have to work with you. Like you mm -hmm. have to be someone that they want to work with. And, and actually also, you want to be someone who's connected to the material in some way that makes it hard to get rid of you. Yeah. <laughs> right? This is a cutthroat business, and they fire writers all the time, and you want to be someone who becomes indispensable. Hmm. So it's, it's your connection to the material. It's what you bring to the table. But then you also, whether or not they're interested in this particular project, you might want to work with them on one of their projects. Right? So they need to know what you do well so that you can come up with that Venn diagram of what you bring to the table and what they need. Yeah. And if your idea does not fit into that Venn diagram, again, it says nothing about your idea, it just doesn't fit their needs, but you bring something to the table that they do need, then you can still have a career, you can still work together. Like yeah. you can, work for hire is, is work that pays the bills, we mm -hmm. love that. So it's important for you to know what you do well and then be able to communicate that. So there are two different things that you could do well. Mm -hmm. One is something that you can do well as a writer. So talking about yourself as a writer in terms of your strengths. No one does everything um, equally well, mm -hmm. and it doesn't suit you, it doesn't behoove you to pretend otherwise. Yeah. Right. Never set yourself up for failure. Know what you do well and then play to those strengths. Um, so let me give an example here. Yeah. One of the things that I bring to the table is the second act. Okay. Right? I'm the goddess of structure. I can find a second act, I can create a second act. There are, second acts are hard, yeah. and there are a lot of movies or drafts um, that go around, that, there are some actual movies, but there are also a lot of drafts that go around really not having figured out the second act. Yes. So when I am asked to play with a project, like somebody will come to me with a script that they think needs some script doctoring or whatever, and I will read it. If the problem is structural, if the problem is the second act, I know I can do that. Like that's mm -hmm. my thing, mm -hmm. and I, I try to convey that that's what I do well, so that that's what people bring me. But you know, I had one client who brought me a, a project they thought needed a um, they thought needed a 
uh, uh, polish is dialogue, dialogue polish, mm -hmm. which really isn't my thing. So I'm like, well, I'm not really, like, that's not really it. But they really liked me and they really wanted me to read it. And I said, well, okay, I'll read it. Yeah. I read it and, in fact, the dialogue was fine. Why they were glitching was there was no second act. Ah. So I'm like, this is why you're glitching. There's really no second act. This I can do. Yeah. And, but it was a bigger um, commitment than they wanted to make. Mm. They wanted to start shooting this thing. They wanted the problem to be a dialogue polish. Right. And they weren't willing to actually pull it apart and create a second act. We parted away. Like I wasn't yeah. willing I wasn't willing to just make a dialogue polish because I knew that that wouldn't solve it. You like knew what that it wasn't needed. the problem. Yeah. It's also not what I'm great at. Like mm -hmm. I would have been the wrong person for that. And right. I told them, look, I'm just the wrong person for you for yeah. this if that's what you want. They ended up never making the movie. Oh wow. Because it didn't have a second like no matter what they did to it, it didn't solve their glitch. They right. kept glitching with it because, in fact, the problem really was that there was no second act. But I wasn't going to set myself up to pretend that I can fix it just by right. polishing the dialogue. I was not going to set myself up for failure. So knowing what you do well and what you can bring to the table can prevent you from taking the wrong thing. And it also, like, people know me as the woman who can give them a second act. Right. I'm the writer who can give them a second act. If I mean, I'm so curious about what are these the secret knowledge or power you have for second act? Is it is it that you had a clear understanding about what a second act is? Is it instinct? I mean, what is it about the second act? Um, I am math girl. Like mm -hmm. I am logic brain. Wow. Like this. That's this is why I'm good at pitching. Like I'm just I see it in structure and I can see it unfold. Um, which yes, it's a superpower. It's a but it's not the only superpower in the world. It's just my only superpower. <laughs> like, this is just what I bring to the table, right? But there are other people who, um, you know, one of my great friends is uh, uh, Jennifer Maisel, who's a playwright. Oh, yeah. oh we love her. Mm -hmm. um, who's a playwright and a screenwriter and just phenomenal. And one, one of our mentors. One of mentors you all will yes. meet her in the series. And so one of the things that she does super well is dysfunctional families. Mm -hmm. And what she does specifically is she finds what keeps them together. Wow. when everything else is pulling them apart, huh? right? That's so important. It's so important, and she's just brilliant at that. And so when people need that, she's their go-to. So it's super important that not only do you know what you do well, right? you can convey what you do well. Mm. And the problem, what a lot of writers do, a lot of new writers do, is they go and they go, well, I'm really a, um, like, I, I do character really well, right? right? I, I do multidimensional characters. I do character really well. And that's a little like saying you're a people person. Hmm. Like it kind of fades into the woodwork. Oh, tell me more. So don't do that. Okay. <laughs> don't be so general. Be hmm. really specific. When you get down to the specifics of what it is you do with character. Yeah. Right? So like, you know, it, it's a crazy little talent, but one of my, I'm making this up. This isn't me. But it's a crazy <laughs> little talent. But one of my things is I can make secondary characters just pop. Right, and you can see how in television, that would be a real strength. Yes, it's like I can make the secondary characters like Thug Number One and Thug Number Two. Uh -huh. I can make if you look at the pilot of um, Stumptown. Yeah. Oh yes, right? I watched it on your recommendation, and you were a hundred percent right. But you talk about it. I can't wait the, to hear. The teaser to the pilot of Stumptown yes. makes Thug One and Thug Two the most exciting, interesting things I've seen on television in a I very long know. time. Right. That is just brilliant writing. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant writing. So whatever it is that you do well, there is someone who needs that. Yeah. But you have to be super specific. You are not everything to everyone, mm -hmm. and you shouldn't try to be. 
you should figure out what you do super well and double down on that. Wow. Yes, learn the stuff that you're not great at so that you are comfortable and competent, mm -hmm. but really try to, to narrow down what it is you really bring to the table. And it may have something to do, so it could be how you're writing, right? It's right. your structure. But it could also be something, and usually it's both, it, but it could also be something that you bring to the table because of your own life, your, mm. your, your life, your lifestyle, your a special specific knowledge. So if you have been trained in hostage negotiation, for example, right. you bring that to the table, let it be known. Mm -hmm. that you've been trained in hostage negotiations. So, you know, you can really make those scenes come to life. How many writers got their start because they started as a technical advisor for, for something, right? That they, they um, could bring uh, um, news of, I'm sorry, I'm umming all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But they could bring um, uh, police work, right? They know about police work. They're, right. They're, they were cops yeah. or they were lawyers or they were doctors, right. right, or the medical researchers, and they can bring a really specific knowledge to television shows or movies, and then that kind of gets them entree, and so then they, they should write something that speaks directly to their experience right. so that they become indispensable yeah. to making that, whatever that is, whether it's a television series or a movie or you know a web series or whatever, so that they're indispensable. So it could be something that you do well as a writer, it could be something that you bring to the table as a human being. It could be, uh, I had a friend who became, got her SAG card because they need a specific reason to get the SAG card. And she, uh, her father was a professional gambler. Mm -hmm. And so she grew up in a house where she actually didn't know any day coming home from school that she'd have a house, right? right? And so there was a show that needed, that had that sort of as a subtext and she was able to get her SAG card because she, literally brought that life experience to the table right on something that needed it yeah and so it's the same if you're a writer there may be something in your past if you work with the peace corps or if you you know if you have a, a history a family history of a, even something like mental illness mm -hmm. where you know what that looks like right. and what it tastes like yeah Right, and you can bring that to the table. Yeah, and a lot of us become writers because our story precedes us. Absolutely. I always say in my family, I have one of those families too, and I'm like, my, you know, I was, I became a writer because I was in a play backstage. We were all talking, telling stories like you do, and I was like, oh, that reminds me of the time my father robbed a bank. And then the whole room was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? Right. <laughs> and I was like, right, that's not everybody's story. That's my story. So right. I know something that I could actually have some, you know, I was going to say expertise, but really deep handle on. It's part of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So you you talk about like it's normal, you know, and other people are like, oh, interesting. I would like to know more about that, please. Right. Right. That's exactly it. I love how you say deep handle because it's it's a connection to the material that goes beyond just knowing about it. Yeah. Right. You can get away with a very little bit of research on a lot of things, mm -hmm. but that deep knowing, that's gold. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a moment where you, you discovered your superpowers or were you always pretty clear, um, I'm good at how things lay out, I'm a mathematician, I know structure, or was there a moment you were like, wait a second, this is mine, I'm great at it? Oh gosh, that's such a great question. There was a moment when I realized that not everybody was great at it. Maybe uh -huh. that's the answer. Yeah. So I was always good at this. Yeah. Um, I was always good, you know, when I was in television, I was always good in the room, I was always good at breaking story. I could always sort of see the story unfold mm -hmm. way ahead. 
Um, but I just thought, it, if I could do it, surely everybody can do it, right? Hey, we underestimate ourselves all the time. <laughs> and pitching, especially. I was really good at pitching. And so um, uh, one of my friends, who's a professional writer, and she asked me to help her pitch. Yeah. And so, of course, I did. It's like, fantastic. Pay me after coffee. And she's like, no, this is a skill. I need to pay you. Yes. And I said, with money? What with a good money? person. <laughs> and she said, yes, this is not everybody is good at this. I said, really? Yeah. And so she insisted on paying me, and then she started referring me to her friends uh -huh. and insisting that they pay me. Yeah. And I realized, oh, wow, there's like a market for this Yeah. amongst writers. I worked with a lot of writer producers, sort of that level, who were producing, who were pitching their own series, mostly in television I started. And, um, and yeah, I guess that was the moment. It wasn't a moment when I knew I was good at it, because mm -hmm. I I was always just good at it, right? But it was the moment when I realized that not everybody is good at right. it, right? And it's needed, and it's needed, need it. and it's a needed thing. Yeah. I always say I call these things parking lot conversations, mm. and there that that means like you've gone to see a play or you've been in a class, and, and you don't say anything until you're farther enough away and you're in the parking lot, and then everybody grabs onto each other and they're like, "Oh my gosh, can you believe this happened?" And the parking lot conversation about your sessions is fire. Oh, People ah. are like, "Oh, I know everything about myself now," and like. You know, we do them in two sessions, so sometimes half the group's gone, half the group is getting ready to go. And I, I can guarantee you the, the group that hasn't gone yet is always like, oh, I can't wait till next time. I need to know about me. She's magic. <laughs> so I know why people call you the pitch goddess, because we just naturally started calling you that. It was so right for you. It, it matched what you the gifts you give to us. So I got a question now. Um, we, I love to talk to writers about all the things they write, not just what they're writing in the realm of screenwriting. And you were telling me about a passion project you have. So will you tell us about that? Absolutely. So first of all, let me say that I think writers write. Yeah. And writers write everything. And, and it's good to write a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, w when people ask, what do you write? Um, you know, I kind of give a little laugh. <laughs> and I say, well, if you can say, if you can name it, I've probably written for it. Mm. So, you know, yes to television and features and right. news and theater but also, yes to, I've written for video games. Me I've, too. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> um, I've written a web series. Um, I write fiction. And um, I just had, I just actually just reminded that I wrote a, uh, I wrote a song that a music video was made of. <laughs> I was like, I forgot about that. I, I am a songwriter. I forgot about that. I'm a songwriter. So I wrote the lyrics. And then someone who actually is musically inclined, which I'm so not, um, brilliantly uh, wrote the music for it and recorded it and so you know every writing counts all writing counts it all it all fills you it all you know fulfills your dreams and also is fun and you get to work with other people like it's all collaborative and it's all just like everything matters mm -hmm. everything you do counts the project that um, you're mentioning and that I really do want to talk about my passion project is a children's book uh -huh. so backstory is that um, my mother came to live with us when she had Alzheimer's. Mm. So my mom got sick and she moved in with us and my son was three and to some extent my mom was three, yeah. right? You know, she was, uh, she was losing the capacity to speak, to convey sentences and it was confusing to my son, uh -huh. right? My son had never met an adult who was like my mom. And so it was very hard, and I kept looking for a children's picture book mm. to explain what was going on to my son, and I couldn't find one. I couldn't mm. find anything. 
So we came up with our own ways. <laughs> we came up with our own ways of explaining what That's was going right. on with, with Grandma, with Nana. And, um, and we actually went to see a, uh, a family therapist because it was just, it was so difficult. Like those first six months were just so difficult. Um, and so we went to see her and we explained to her, okay, well, this is what we're doing. Like, right. give me better ways, but this is what we're doing. She'd go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a good idea. I hadn't heard of that. Mm. And the penny dropped. I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to write that <laughs> damn book. Okay? I'm going to have to write the picture book yes. that I couldn't find. And so it took, um, it took actually a little while <laughs> to get the distance to be able to write right. it, but I finally wrote it. And so I wrote, um, it's a children's picture book, and it's called Nana Speaks Nannies. Like, Nana Speaks Her Own Language. Yeah. Nana Speaks mm -hmm. Nannies. And it's uh, about a little boy whose grandmother moves in with them and, and how he's confused by sort of the changes that dementia brings on yeah. and how um, his parents, as a, you know, explain it to him. And it's, I... It's one of those things where I really want it to help other families to yeah. fill that need. Um, and it's also a project that I was committed to making happen no matter what, which I think is what a passion project really is. Mm -hmm. Like, it is not a passion project in terms of I really wanted to write this book. I did not want to write this book. <laughs> I didn't want to live this book. Yeah, like, this right. was yes. not in my game plan yes. for my life work, right? But it's a passion project in that it is something that I so deeply believe can help mm -hmm. that there is no way I could not write it. Yeah. I had to put it out in the world. And so I put it out in the world and I actually published it myself. So I self-published it. I found a, an illustrator. Um, I, I tried several, you know, I, I worked with several different illustrators until I found one who really understood it mm -hmm. and, um, and could make the pictures light because yeah. the subject matter, while not, you know, it, it's not a grim read right. in any sense, there's still a sadness to a certain moment of it. And so I needed the pictures to be enchanting, mm -hmm. right? Warm and enchanting. And I finally found a uh, uh, illustrator um, uh, who could do that. And, um, and then I taught myself InDesign to be able to lay it out. And I published it. And I want to talk about this for two reasons. One is that I really hope that anybody who needs it can find it. So, yeah. like, let's get this out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is, I think that we sometimes stop short of doing what's needed to be done to make our dreams come true mm. and to make our passion projects happen, no matter what it is, whether it's in television or, or features or anything. We we come up, we bump up against something like, oh, I need to learn a new software. Yeah. Or I need to find an illustrator, right? Or I need to do this. And it seems so impossible. But when you decide ahead of time that no matter what, this is happening, then that conversation about how hard it is goes away. Mm. Because you just, you don't have a choice anymore. You've mm. decided this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's happening for a reason beyond me. Like yeah. it's not happening because I, uh, you know, I had a dream of being a, a published children's writer. No, yeah. <laughs> right? It's happening because this is something that has to be in the world to help other families going through what I went through, yeah. so that they at least have that. Yes. Right. They at least have one little piece of the puzzle. Yeah. That will help them in a super difficult situation. 
And because of that, there was just no no. It's like, oh, this is what needs to happen next? Okay, yeah. I'll just do this next. This is the next step? Okay, this is just the next step. Like, this is just the next step. Mm-hmm. There's no conversation in your head about not doing it. Yeah. Like, there's actually no not doing it. You mm-hmm. just do it. And so I think that if you have something, and it doesn't need to fulfill a bigger purpose, except mm-hmm. it can fulfill the bigger purpose of, damn, you have something wonderful that needs to be in the world because you need to express it. Like, it can be because of you. I am, I am totally of the park that, uh, you know, in, in the field of you, your creativity matters, and it matters that it show up in the world. So once you make the decision that this is going to happen no matter what, then you figure out a way to make it happen no mm-hmm. matter what. And so maybe you have a feature you want to make and making a feature isn't isn't a feasible thing in your world. Yeah. You're going to make that project happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe the first thing you're going to do is you're going to make a sizzle reel. Right. Or maybe the first thing you're going to do is you're going to see how you can take the heart of that and make it a short that's a sort of a premise short for what the whole feature would look like. Yeah. Right. There's some way that you can make something happen that takes your passion project from an idea in your head and puts it out in the world for someone else to see. And if you just make the decision that you're going to just, that's going to happen. Yes. Then you just do that. Mm-hmm. 2020 is my passion project year two. Oh, fabulous. Yes. I, I've, I actually have a whole series I wrote when I was here so that I could shoot it when I was in um, the master's program as a student. And... Um, Thankfully, knock on wood, I had a couple of really beautifully busy years. But in the back of my head, I'm like, you wrote this so you could make this. That's and it's exactly time it. to make this. You know, so that you can define your own voice in the world. Because it's beautiful to be working, but it's even more beautiful to be working in the way that you want to be working. The way that fulfills you. And you just, you also, those are the things that can go out. If you, if you have a brilliant, perfect idea in your head, it doesn't serve you. Mm. Because it's only for you like no one else can join in no one else can be part of it no one else can share in that yeah you get no goodies off of that yeah other than it's in your heart right yeah and while it's perfect in your heart it's better to have something less perfect yeah in real life so that it can then go out and touch other people and connect and create and you will get you will get good stuff out of that I was just I just watched a documentary um, that came out a little while ago about um, Aha, right? Aha and the uh, um, their big hit, um, Take on Me, right? Oh yeah, I thought right. I meant Aha moments. I was like, no, tell no, me more. Not aha, moments. <laughs> aha, the music group. I love that and, song. And Take on Me, <laughs> and Take on Me, which is groundbreaking video for the time. Yeah, right? absolutely. Okay, the person, the people who ended up directing the animation for that uh-huh. were these uh, this couple who had done a student film. Wow. It came off their student film. What happened was they had the song. The song had actually been released twice in the UK badly with horrible videos. Huh. And they were releasing it for a third time, but this time they had the support of, of Warner Brothers oh. America and their... Um, they decided they wanted to do a better music video and they were kind of casting about for ideas and the guy who directed it had seen in a festival somewhere or like in a, in a VHS tape across his desk had seen this student, this interesting student film called The Commuter. Huh. 
and um, he's like, oh, we should do that. And it was all about, it was sort of the, the animation version of mm -hmm. real people. Yeah. Right? And that was a student film that was done by a, a married couple. And they ended up being flown to England. And they directed the, uh, the animation portions, right? They hand animated wow. that whole video, everything that, was, everything that was animated part of it, in 16 weeks huh. and their whole careers. Now they teach at USC. Oh, really? Absolutely. They do massive installations. They do massive installation at the Getty. Um, they've done phenomenal work. They've done, they constantly work in music and, and animation, yeah. both, and sort of the collaboration of the two. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been their whole careers. Right. And the video is so memorable. And I had no idea so there were two drafts before that, yeah. or two totally separate projects, yeah. because you remember that thing That's that stays. That's all you remember. That's all you remember. The other stuff was just horrible. <laughs> I, I also say, though, that that idea that you keep the drafts that we talk about on the page, you see that actually in work all the time. There are so many things that if you go back that stayed around and you look at how they got there, right. you know there really was a lot of drafts to get to that oh, point. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of drafts to get yeah. to it. There were a lot of drafts to get to that iconic yeah. song. But the important thing was they, they had an idea of something that they wanted to create, a visual idea of what they wanted to create. They found a way to get it into the world. Yes. Now, the commuter itself, nobody has ever seen that short film except, you know, these right. guys, right? It's not like that has become an Oscar-winning whatever, but it was a stepping stone. It was something that let their visual voice, right? It let yes. their voice yes. be heard in the world so that someone else could go, I want that for this. Yes. Let's get them. And now suddenly they have a massive credit, right? Oof. A massive thing that was a huge hit, and they got tons of work off of it. And they, their whole career was then built on that stepping stone. I can see, I mean, I can see people listening to you right now, and like they're writing down their plan for the year <laughs> and they're feeling inspired. I'm like, and I just want to say to y'all, do it. We believe in you. If we can help you fulfill those dreams here at the program, and one of the most beautiful things is the portfolio that people come out with, the work they come out with, how ready they are. So if you're going, oh my gosh, she is inspiring me and I need to get this down, then you know, let us support you in that. And I have one more question because we, I could just sit with you all day, um, but in honor of your time, I want to ask one more thing, and I, I often like to leave our audience with a piece of advice about writing, so can you give them a piece of advice? Absolutely. Here is the best advice I can give you with your writing. Do not be quick to get rid of conflict. Do not make problems go away too soon your characters not only will there be as a pro as a problem is solved remember that there are always consequences to how you solve the problem so allow the problems to get worse uh, be okay with the discomfort of sitting in this unresolved thing mm. And then remember that for your characters, there are going to be consequences to how they choose to deal with things, and those are going to make it even not worse, but different, yeah. right? There's always messiness. And if you make things too tidy, it's, it's just not, it's not as good, it's not as strong, and it's not really your soul coming out, right? Yeah. Oof, such good advice. I always say, we're used to being kind. We want to we want to experience kindness. But when you're creating a piece of art, being kind to a character 
might be that cruelty that you yeah. play in part on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can't grow. Yeah. Right? Your characters can't grow if everything goes right. There's really no story there. It's right? so true. It's so true. Well, thank you, Laura, You're so welcome. much for being with us. Not just today, but thank you for being part of our program. You're such a vital part of it, and we're glad you're here.